Good morning. It's so good to have fellow friends and elders pray for you before you preach God's word. Thank you. For, and I know many of you pray for me during the week and our elders, so thank you so much for your bringing us before the Lord. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have, or you are an owner of indescribable future things. The best things of earth are just little nibbles of the better things that Jesus Christ is promising to give us. Have your Bibles open or your cell phones on to your Bible app. app. <laughs> okay. Turn with me to Philippians chapter, chapter 3. Because Paul talks about being a citizen of heaven there. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20, verses 20 and 21, he says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to object, uh, subject all things to himself. So we're citizens of heaven, and if we're citizens of heaven, then we cannot live the same any longer. It's true. Because by believing in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of his, then you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, Paul tells us in another letter to the Corinthians. Christ's power is living in you through the presence of the Holy Spirit if you're a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ. So we can't be the same. It enables me and you and all believers to begin to let go of our old ways, our old habits, our sinful ways, our evil ways, our selfish ways, and to begin to be more like Christ, to be better, to be holier, and to chase after the things of God. You have your finger in Acts uh, chapter 25. Still flip back a few pages to Colossians chapter 3 because Paul talks about heavenly citizenship there, only says it a little differently. Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So again, same truth about citizenship in heaven, but just expressed a little differently. God's got to do a saving work. It's his work to bring us to faith. And yet at the same time, you and I have something we need to do as followers of Christ. We have a responsibility as people, as new creatures in Christ. Look at what it says in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's a pretty violent phrase, put to death. I have this huge dislike for creepy crawly things. I don't like spiders, especially big ones. You know, the hairy ones. Outside, they don't bother me. I leave them alone. Hey, build your webs, catch all those nasty bugs that bite me, go for it. 
But if you're in my house, if you're in my castle, if you're in my domain, then I am sorry, Ms. or Mr. Spider. <laughs> Put to death all the earthly things, the citizens of heaven. God gives us the power to begin to stamp out the old ways, if we look to him, if we ask him for help, his grace is there to move us on to higher and better things. That's his plans for his kingdom citizens. And we can by the grace of God. It's not our work, but it's his work in us. And yet we have a responsibility to put to death those unholy, hurtful things that enslaved us in our old life. And he's moving us on to freedom toward heavenly citizenship. So what does heavenly citizenship have to do with Acts chapter 25 and 26 in Paul's life? Well, it has a lot to do with it because Paul understood that he was first a citizen of heaven. And as a citizen of heaven, it changed how he lived as an earthly citizen. As a matter of fact, it made him a better earthly citizen. Maybe you are old enough to remember to have heard the phrase, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. That's only true if you only think about heavenly things, learn about heavenly things, and don't apply heavenly things to earthly living. But that's not our calling. Our calling is to be not only heavenly good, but earthly good because we are citizens of heaven. So heavenly citizenship should change, must change, if I'm a follower of Christ, how I am living. It's a process. We don't make it there all at once, but we must be doing it. And Paul lived that way. When you and I better understand that I'm a citizen of heaven and what all that means as a follower of Christ, and it's going to make me persevere through bad politics, make me a better citizenship, citizen of earth, and it's going to make me keep on mission to be a disciple maker. When I understand I'm a citizen of heaven and all its benefits that I own now and one day will be fully realized. So let's take a look. Politics, citizenship, and making disciples. Heavenly citizenship encourages steady perseverance. In chapter, oh, let me flip there myself, chapter 25 of Acts. But I want to look at verse chapter 24, the last verse of that chapter. Verse 27 of chapter 24 of Acts. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Persevering through politics. Felix left Paul in prison. Justice was not being served and for two years Paul was sitting there. Felix was hoping for a payoff from Paul to set him free, a bribe. He was politically trying to do the Jews a favor to keep a very volatile political situation under control, trying to win favor, trying to keep power, trying to enjoy the wealth that he had. But it didn't work. And I want you to know, Paul must have been feeling the angst. Sitting there waiting. You know what I love about that? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. You know what I love about that verse? It just struck me. Paul said, I have learned 
to be content. When he believed in Jesus, he wasn't automatically content. He had to learn to be content. And how did he learn to be content? He remembered who Jesus was and his power and his might and his salvation and who he was before Christ and what he was becoming after he believed in Christ and what he was called to do. And that inspired him to be content, to say, I've learned to be content in God's school of trust. He's teaching me to be content. As a citizen of God's city, this truth would help him to be persevere. You will testify to me in Rome. And Paul had to cling to that promise from God. And for the time being, Paul would, would be saying, I am where God wants me to be. I know where he's taking me. I will trust him. I will be content. How are you doing with that? I don't do so well sometimes. But as we remember who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us, his power and his might and his sovereign control and his love for us, his mercy, his grace that keeps picking us up that will never forsake us, it helps us move on. So Paul could persevere through the politics. He was only in prison because there was corruption, because they weren't being fair, because they were looking out for themselves. It would make me so mad. How about you? I want justice, but I will trust God. I am a citizen of heaven. There are better things coming. I can wait for God to work out his plan. And he was persevering through opposition. Hey, he was sitting in prison for two years. And now in chapter 25, uh, Festus had just been in power for three days, arrived in the province, probably from I don't know where from, let's say Rome. And he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea to meet some of the leaders of this new province, province that he was a governor of. And look what the Jews are doing, the leaders, not all Jews, but these Jewish leaders, religious leaders and political leaders hated Jesus, so they hated Paul. And what did they do right away? They went to Festus, this new governor, and they put him in a box. They were going to flex their muscles because they knew he would be new, so he wouldn't know the whole situation. He didn't know Paul's story, so they were going to leverage this new guy who probably wanted to do them favors to keep the peace. They were going to leverage that situation to get at Paul. Talk about hatred. Prison wasn't good enough. Two years later, they still have a plot to kill Paul. Send him to Jerusalem and on the way, we'll get him. Festus won't know what's going on. Wow. Talk about hatred. Murderous. Evil. When Jesus called them hypocrites and whitewashed rooms and children of the devil and vipers, you can believe that it was true. These Jewish leaders hated Christ and they hated Paul and they were willing to wait. And they were hoping Festus would be willing to sacrifice Paul for a political favor. But you know what's wonderful? Proverbs 21.1 says this, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. So Festus said, no, we're going to go to Caesarea for the trial. God was protecting Paul. He could be content in his, sovereign's hand, his God's sovereign hands. 
And I want you and me, me and you, to remember that great truth. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's Psalm 121, if you don't remember that. It's true for you, daughters of God. It's true for you, sons of God. It's true for you, children of God. The Lord is your keeper. And because that's true, that gives us confidence and we can entrust ourselves to this God. So the Jewish leaders bring all these charges against Paul. They were serious. We read that in verses 6 through 12. Paul defends himself, and Luke just gives us a summary in verses 8 through 11 of Paul's defense. And because Festus, third time in 10 verses, it says, and to do the Jews a favor. So there was political stuff going on here, give and take. Paul appeals to Caesar. He took on his rights as a Roman citizen under the Roman law, and he trusted him. Romans chapter 13. You're familiar, likely you're familiar with these verses, but in Romans chapter 13, we read this about politics, about government authorities. Let me read eight verses. Let every person... Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Here's what we don't like to read. For because of this, you also pay taxes. <laughs> For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You don't like the present administration? Too bad. Pray and be a good citizen. Obey the law. Encourage them, challenge them for justice. Leverage the laws of the land to be a good citizen, to bring justice to your, to your situation, to others, less fortunate situation, to leverage it to preach the gospel as freely as we have rights to right now. But no matter where you live, because some countries, nations, they don't have half the freedoms we have. And you know what? They preach the gospel. They are good citizens. They spread it out. They don't worry about their rights. They don't have any rights, but they follow their king. Because first of all, where are they citizens of? Heaven. And they're about their king's business. So Paul leveraged this. If Caesar failed him, Caesar will answer to God. Sooner or later. He will answer to God. 
the rulers over us, local, state, national. The prince of this world one day will answer to the Lord of heaven. We can trust him. So Paul was protecting not only himself, but he was trying to set a precedent for others. He was trying to show to Rome, using Roman law as a citizen of Rome, that he was not a threat to them. It wasn't political, it was religious issues. So other Christians could benefit from Roman protection if people, Jews, went after Christians or people went after them. He was protecting others by establishing a precedent. So be true to Jesus. Remember Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? You can peek back there a little bit later on today. When the Jewish leader said, stop preaching in Jesus' name, what did they say? You be the judge. Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? So when the government says, don't pass out Bibles, don't speak of Christ in public, what do we do? Well, we're wise. And we pass out Bibles and we speak about God and his goodness to us wisely and carefully. And if we get caught because we broke what the government or the leader said not to do, then we take on the consequences because we follow Christ. Be true to your conscience. So live holy lives, good lives. Be a good citizen. Don't compromise. And be true to earthly authorities to protect yourself and to use the laws of the land. The psalmist in 146 wrote this, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. So don't put your hope in the people who are supposed to protect us through the USA Constitution. It's a great constitution. Roman law had its bright spots. Believe me, it was supposed to be a fair system, but it was corrupted. Humanity does a great job of corrupting good things. We're experts at it. Our sin nature just, we can't help ourselves. We take bribes, we lie, we cheat, we do favors that we shouldn't do. Our ideals for justice in the United States of America is amazing. Our ideals for justice for all are lofty and good, but they're so unrealized. Be good citizens of heaven. It'll make you a better citizen of earth. Don't worry so much about what we can't do, but let's worry about what we can do with the gospel of Christ and the opportunities we have now. Don't be afraid to use good laws for spreading justice and spreading the news of Christ. God is sovereign over every human government. And take advantage of your opportunities. So be good citizens of heaven. But secondly, politics, citizenship, and making disciples. Heavenly citizenship inspires passionate testimony have highlighted one verse in chapter 26, verse 28. Agrippa, King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Paul 
was a citizen of heaven and because he knew what was coming, he testified passionately trying to persuade people to believe in Christ. This is Paul's fifth testimony in the book of Acts. And it's the longest testimony. And if you're reading through the book of Acts, you might kind of go, oh, man, not another one. I already heard this story. But Luke gives us all the details here because this is kind of like the big summary of what he wants us to know how Paul presented his testimony. So I, would, I don't have time this morning. I won't take time this morning. It's purposeful to explain all that Paul did, but you could read through it and just see his approach is really amazing. He, he describes for us, Luke does, Festus's plight. Festus was a new governor. He didn't have a clue about Jewish religion, really. He wasn't an expert. He didn't know the whole situation, what's going on here. So he calls in help from King Herod Agrippa. King Herod Agrippa was a descendant of the Herod who had all the babies slaughtered when Jesus was born. His other relative, another Herod, had John the Baptist beheaded. So he had a long line of tradition of doing wonderful things for his constituents especially people who loved God. So Paul asks, or excuse me, Agrippa, Festus asks for help from King Agrippa because King Agrippa did know Jewish culture. And he was in the area and he came to help and, and Festus seeked his counsel. I love verses 23 through 27. You can read it later, but it's just this description of all the pomp and the glitter that the kings put on their robes and they come walking in to have this big trial. They were going to listen to Paul speak and, you know, they troop in and all the hoopla. You know, we do it on the red carpets at the Emmy Awards and just all these things and at football games. And we make a big deal about kings who are just stewards of God's rule. And some of them are doing a very poor job. I love the testimony that Jesus, when Jesus was speaking to Pilate. And Pilate entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given from you from above. Just remember that, people. Believe what Jesus says and take it to heart. You can entrust, we can entrust ourselves to Jesus and his commands and make them our priority without fear because we are stewards of God's gifts to us. We have been called to spread the gospel. You have a calling to explain the gospel, and Paul seizes that opportunity in chapter 26. He was being accused of breaking the Jewish law, but Paul argues, the reason I'm here is because of my Jewish heritage. I'm just believing what the Jews have believed from the very beginning. I once thought the way was terrible. I know better now. I've met the risen Jesus Christ. It's changed my life. So he told the before and after, before Christ, what he did, and the after. How seeing Jesus alive changed his life. 
Do you know you and I both have a, have a commission from God that's just the same? It goes way, way back. Go to the Garden of Eden. When God told Adam and Eve what to do, they had a commission. Be fruitful and multiply. Oh, what were they to do? To raise up godly offspring. People who knew God and loved God and served God. That was their commission, to fill the earth with people who knew God and would love God and would serve God like they were to do in the garden. The prophet Jeremiah, listen to his calling. Verse 6 of Jeremiah 1, Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. How about Ezekiel's call? In chapter 2, the Lord said to Ezekiel, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as, you, and as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. Listen to Paul's commissioning that he, he shares in his testimony to King Agrippa, verses 15 through 18. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me into these and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. I feel like making you all just stand up. <laughs> I won't do that. Maybe I ought to. No, I won't. Stand up on your feet. I am sending you to the nations, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school, to speak my word to rebels who need redemption. You have a commission, like prophets of old, like Adam and Eve, to be fruitful Jesus said, I'm sending you out to be fruitful, to produce disciples to Ezekiel and to Jeremiah and to Paul and Peter, and the list goes on and on, right to you and me. Wow. Citizens of heaven. Include these essentials in your testimony, the cross. Because the cross reminds us all that God did something. God acted. God came. He saved. He came. He died. He purchased forgiveness for us. He was our substitute in our place. We implore you, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I implore you. I plead with you. Believe. 
God did a great work at the cross. But when we mention the cross and what Jesus did and died for us, we have to mention the resurrection. The resurrection is an amazing thing, isn't it? It's hard to believe. If you don't believe in God, if you're not sure, it's like, yeah, that sounds like a fairy tale thing, but it's the crux of it all. If Jesus died on the cross and didn't rise from the dead, literally, not like some, well, he's alive in our memory. That doesn't work. He's actually resurrected. If he did not resurrect, then he's just, a, this is just another sad story about someone who died either unjustly or was like C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic or he was a liar, he was, was no good, or he was a crazy man. It's just a sad story. But if Jesus is alive, he is, by the way, then it changes everything. The cross and the resurrection must be spoken. And by the way, the resurrection isn't something new. Abraham believed in the resurrection, right? The father of the Jews. I mean, that's why he was willing to sacrifice Isaac, because he believed, the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, that he believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead to fulfill his promise. Jesus, when he was talking to Moses at the burning bush, said, I am the Lord God, the, the God of, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob not I was the God, they're still alive. There's a resurrection. And Jesus used that passage to so show those Sadducees that there was a resurrection, that that's the truth that the Jews, true Jews, believing Jews, embraced from the beginning. God has acted. He's alive to rescue humanity from its death walk to destruction. And his death has brought forgiveness. His resurrection proves it's true. You've heard the testimony, King Agrippa. You've heard the testimony, Felix. You've heard the testimony, Beatrice, the sister of Agrippa. Now you have a responsibility to believe. And Paul was passionate. You would persuade me in such a short time, Agrippa said. Felix said, excuse me, not Felix, Festus said, you're crazy, Paul. You think too much. <laughs> How can you be genuinely persuasive? You believe in the king. You believe he sent you out with a job to do. You believe he's alive. You believe the message is true. Go and speak persuasively. He had to suffer. He's alive. It's not illogical. Paul looked a mighty king. It's like standing in front of the president. Looked him in the eye. And he spoke God's word with conviction. And he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And he spoke from his heart. That was Paul's way. He was persuasive because he knew Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I, I go to this passage all the time because it just amazes me of Paul's way. And it's just one description of it. For in verse 5 of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, This is how we came to you. 
For you yourselves know, brothers, verse 1, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were beat up there in prison. We came to you and said the same message, and we got in trouble in Thessalonica too, but we keep preaching the gospel. We were willing to suffer for your sake. That's how he came. In verse 5 it says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with a pretext for greed. You know, pay me 50 bucks and I'll preach you a great sermon. No, it was none of that stuff. We preached because we believed our message and we treated you like a father and a mother treat the children they love. We shared with you not only the gospel of God, the good news, but we shared our lives. We lived with you. We suffered with you. We were blameless in our conduct. G. Campbell Morgan, I just want you to know something. If if you ever get a, a, a commentary on Acts, I would challenge you to get G. Campbell Morgan's commentary. He lived, he was born in 1863, and he died in 1945, just at the end of World War II. So you think, this is an old guy, what does he have to do with the 21st century? I want you to know something, that man spoke the heart of God. And you cannot read his commentaries and not feel that this man knew God and loved God. I highly recommend that commentary. Here's what he said. King Agrippa is enthroned, but he's enslaved to sin, to impurity, to the power of the world. Yeah, he was living with his sister Beatrice. Yeah, incestuous relationship. And then she went off and married Titus, the guy who conquered uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. And what a mess. He was enslaved. Paul, on the other hand, is imprisoned and chained, but he was free. You're free, believer in Christ. Think about it and share that freedom with people you know who are, who are enslaved to sin, enslaved to self. Agrippa is only a citizen of earth. He's only a citizen of death, of hell. Paul is a citizen of heaven and earth. <laughs> He's a confident servant of God. One's comfortable, that's King Agrippa, but his soul is in misery. Paul is in chains and discomfort, but it's only temporary. What a picture. Christian, what are we going to do today, this week, because you're a citizen of heaven? that's different from what we used to do before we were citizens of heaven. What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about the truth that's changed you or is changing you that you'd like to share with somebody else to set them free? Will you allow your citizenship in God's city, the heavenly Jerusalem, to change how you speak and live? just a little bit more, asking for God's help to do that? Will you do it with new passion and fervor because you're convinced like Paul that this is true? This is life changing. I will give up my rights as a citizen of earth and follow the king and his constitution that comes from heaven. 
Live with integrity. Live with passion because you're convinced Jesus's commission to you is true. You can put that little slide up on now, Mark. Yeah, this is, I love this stuff. 1975. It's old. I was 19 and I was so excited when I saw this stuff. This is from uh, a teen, a youth uh, discipleship manual. When you read the Bible, pray, read the passage that you're going to study two or three times, examine it, you ask questions like, is there a sin here I should avoid, an example I should follow, what do I learn about God? Uh, basic stuff that so many of you already know. Say back to God what you've learned and share with a friend what you are learning. Really basic discipleship, growing stuff. But you know what I want you to do? I want you to think about, let's take a couple minutes to do the last two S's. Take a minute right now to say back to God something that caught your attention today. It doesn't have to be my sermon. It could be something you, a conversation you had that sparked some faith or encouragement, a song we sang that just really caught, grabbed your attention, caught you, or something you were talking about in the, the fruitfulness and the frontline study this morning. What was it that you caught your attention today that you know God was speaking to you? To you, Would you say it back to God right now? Let's take a minute to think about that and say back to God, God, here's what I heard today from you. I want you to do that right now. And let's take a minute to share with a friend. You can do that right now. I'd like to hear you say to a friend, to your partner, to someone near you, if you're comfortable with that. What challenged you today? Share it with a friend. Do you know why that's a good idea to do? Because by saying it again, it impresses it again in your heart and mind what God was saying to you. But it also might help them be encouraged and learn something too. So you're benefiting another believer or an unbeliever with what God's been teaching you and you're encouraging and settling things in your mind and heart again. So if you're comfortable, I'm going to give you a minute to share that now. If there's no one here that you want to share with, I hope that's not the case, then who will it be this week? What friend will you share that with today, this week? Do that right now. Take a minute and share if you're comfortable with that, with what you've learned today.
Okay. Thank you for making noise, and I would encourage you to continue this conversation after we say amen at the end. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask you, Father in heaven and loving Son, move in our hearts and minds so that we're captivated by the hope we have in Christ, our new citizenship in heaven, and what that means, this calling that gives us strength to persevere, to, to be more holy, more light in dark places, by your strength, by your grace, by your might, not our own, but what you give us. Help us to understand it and grab onto it. Lord God, give us a new desire to be holy ambassadors, passionate, so that others can join us in the beauty of heaven. Lord, we ask this all for your honor and glory. Save, encourage, touch a heart today and change it through your grace, through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.